Hello, hello, my friend. Welcome back to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, where we discuss all the things you need to ensure you are thriving in the world of tech as a leader. Today's episode is one of those topics I wish I'd dug into more, learned more about, and researched more thoroughly before I embarked on my leadership career. That is how to choose a coach. And particularly now that my coaching practices are regularly full, in fact, I'm currently filling up my waiting list for the rest of the summer and the earliest start date right now is June to work with me. I felt that because of that, (laughs) I wanted to help other people, uh, women, uh, people who can't otherwise work with me, understand how to choose a great coach. Because I've had so many people come to me to work with me after having a bad experience with a coach. And so, of course, if you want to come work with me, I'd be utterly delighted. <laughs> come join my waiting list. We'll get started as soon as we can. I will do my best to accommodate your timing requirements. But I'm acutely aware that there are people that listen to this podcast that, for whatever reason, can't work with me, don't want to wait, whatever it is. And so I want to help you choose a great coach because great coaching is something that's transformed me, my career. I know it transforms the lives of my clients as well. And I also know that many people put off choosing a coach because it is so daunting. Even if logically you know you do well with one, it's like this big thing. Like, how do I how do I get it right? It's a lot of the time it's not just a big investment of time, and it is an investment of time. Although I would argue that you get that time back many times over. <laughs> well, with a great coach, <laughs> but it's also often an investment of money. It might be your money personally. A lot of my clients pay for themselves. Um, but it might be your business. And again, I would say about half my clients, their business pays, about half they pay for it themselves. It really depends on like the setup going on. But either way, like you're saying, hey, back me. You're either saying to yourself, back yourself. Maybe you're saying to your family, back me. Uh, if you're, you know, you share your finances with your partner and you're obviously you're paying for children to do things if you've got kids. Or you're saying to your organization, back me. And that's a big one. Sometimes I've seen executives delegate this to HR departments, um, and this basically guarantees a poor fit, in my experience. In fact, one of my current clients came to me after falling into this trap and having tried out four other coaches, all of whom her colleagues raved about. But she was finding that the coaches that she tried, and some one of them she tried for a whole year. I mean, I wouldn't stick it out for a whole year if it wasn't working for me. <laughs> But they were actually holding her back instead of helping her in her career. I have several clients who have had other coaches that they weren't bad coaches. They just weren't a good fit. And that's the key thing here. They need to be a good fit for you. And this is actually one of the reasons I really dislike programs that are set up internally in organizations where a specific coach is just available for everybody. You might end up lucky in having a great rapport with this individual. You might land on your feet. They're a great fit for you. But realistically that's only going to happen for a couple of people because it's so much about personality and understanding and how you build a rapport with that person and we're all individuals right that's the beauty of the human race and so you aren't going to have a great fit with every single other person you come across and therefore if there's one coach for a thousand people one they're not going to know everybody and two you can guarantee that 99% or more are not going to be a great fit for that coach So (laughs) you may end up having great productive discussions, but more often than not, you won't. A few sessions down the road, you'll probably part ways from that kind of person because they aren't a good fit. And this is the crux of the problem. Great coaching requires trust and knowledge. 
And that's kind of what I want to talk to you today about. Like, how do you identify that in a prospective coach? And how do you avoid wasting too much time trying to get to that right person? So I'm going to share with you some tips, some things that I've learned along the way that I wish I'd known a decade ago to help you understand this. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Now, one of the things I really want you to bear in mind here is... People should be prepared to share an awful lot with their coach. My clients share with me things that I know they don't share with anyone else. You should be able to share things you wouldn't share with other people with your coach because a lot of the time, those are the things that are holding you back in some way. It's as much about being a confidant to you without the therapy piece, of course. Don't make the mistake of thinking your coach is an alternative to therapy. It isn't. Although sometimes the results can be similar, which I think is why there is this misconception. But true therapy is something else entirely. And indeed, in the past, I've turned down prospective clients because actually what they need right now is therapy. I always have clients where I said, go get a therapist. (laughs) And they have both at the same time. Therapy and coaching are not the same thing. They deal with different things. But trust, coming back all the way to that, is crucial in the same way you would with a therapist. And if we don't have rapport, trust is a very, very difficult, if not impossible, thing to build. So here are my things I really think you should look for. If you're interested in getting coached, grab a notebook and pen, take notes on your phone, whatever it is you need to do, get these things written down so you have them ready for checking off when you are looking for a coach. So of course, the first one is that fit, that chemistry, trust and rapport. It's often overlooked, as I've said, and a good coach should always offer a free, no obligation chat such as my discovery calls to assess fit and chemistry. They shouldn't be about trying to convince you must do the program. Don't get me wrong. Like, if I know that the right thing for the person in front of me is my program and they are resisting, I would try and dig into to why they're resisting, right? And a good coach should do that because quite often, like, we resist because we're scared of something, But it shouldn't be just a sales pitch, okay? It should be about listening to you, understanding what you need, understanding what's going on. And these free no-obligation chats, which every coach should offer, in my opinion, I don't think you should ever pay for that. Um, This is a way for you to assess that fit, that chemistry, that trust, that rapport. If the coach you're approaching has hundreds of clients, for example, and never turns anyone down, that's a red flag because... They can't possibly have great rapport with everybody. Even if there is a potential for great rapport, 100 clients at a time, quite frankly, you can't get to know 100 people that intimately. I really limit how many clients I work with, which is why I have a wait list right now, (laughs) because I feel so strongly that great coaching requires personal relationship, requires me to really know them. I remember what my clients do. I will check in with them late at night because I know that they had a big meeting and, you know, I I finished work several hours before they did because I work with people all over the world, right? But I know that they had a big meeting at their 5 p.m., which is my 10 p.m. If I'm still up, I will check in with them. 
if I remember, because that's important as a coach. You know them inside out, upside down, back to front. Now, don't get me wrong. I have boundaries. I don't always check in. (laughs) Boundaries are really, really important. And I hope that you have boundaries and I hope any coach you have has boundaries. But the reason for me sharing that particular one with you is because I know my clients. I am backing them. I'm excited about them. I am so proud of every single one of my clients. If you are listening, which I know most of my clients listen to this podcast, if not all of them, (laughs) you just know how damn proud I am of you, right? (laughs) And you only get that though, if you have a small number of clients. So look for that fit chemistry, trust and rapport. Have that conversation and make sure they don't have hundreds of clients, okay? It's it's never going to give you what you truly need for a great coaching relationship. The next one is to look at their experience and background. So, for example, as you all know, I'm a woman in tech who got to the C-suite. I'm also a leadership expert. I have been working on leadership. It started as a hobby. Um, and now, like, I devour books and scholarly articles all about leadership. Like, it's I just think the world would be a better place if we have better leadership. And I'm passionate about the tech industry. I have been in tech. I, I, and I don't know if I'm still in tech in my head. <laughs> my company still does tech. Um, the other side of my company still does consultancy in tech. But I'm a 100% a coach these days. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a woman in tech buying extension of my clients. But I know what it's like to have been there. I've also pivoted jobs. So if someone wants to work with me on pivoting jobs and getting into their leadership positions, developing their leadership, getting to the C-suite in tech, working in tech as a woman, I'm your woman. Like I know what it means. But I've never worked in corporate banking or government relations or policy. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not essential that a coach has the experience and background that you have, but it's a shortcut. (laughs) So they're going to understand. You're not going to have to explain what it means to be an IC or what, you know, the route to a CTO is. If you, and you're not going to have to explain to them what it means, what it feels like. In fact, you might not ever want to do this, but explain what it feels like to be the only woman in the room or one of just two women in the room or the other woman in the room is actually your worst uh, partner because they've learned to survive by putting all other women down. I, I have clients... That is their experience, right? They don't have to explain to me. They just say, hey, X did this today. I'm like, right, okay, get it, you know? And I think if you've not experienced some of these things, don't get me wrong, right? I haven't experienced all the things that my clients have experienced, not even close. But a lot of the key things that they're experiencing from being the only woman in the room to being in senior leadership to carving their way to the executive team, I get it. And so they don't have to explain to me. We're just on the same wavelength. And it just shortcuts the conversation. It also means when I see them holding them up, I'm more likely to notice that swifter. I've seen when uh, it's something I don't have experience in, I have to ask more questions to call them out on something. Because I'm like, there's something there. (laughs) I'm sure there's something there. And I have to poke a little bit more to really get to the crux of the issue. Now, a great coach will always do that. Do not get me wrong. And you may well get a great coach who doesn't have your experience and background. But a great coach will also just do that faster. And the more they know you, so it comes back to that fit, chemistry, trust and rapport, because they'll get to know you over time, not having hundreds of clients. But also if they know just like the kind of experiences you like to have, that's just a faster process. It's not the only way to get there, but it is faster. So I would definitely suggest looking for somebody who has your experience, your background, where you want to go. 
don't hire a life coach if you want to pivot jobs. <laughs> don't, don't hire an executive coach if you're looking for your entry-level job. Um, it's just going to be wrong, wrong skill set. They would probably do a great job if they're a decent coach. Don't get me wrong. But you may well find a better fit, but just looking a little bit further. Which actually brings me more specifically to my issue of being a woman in tech. And I do want to spend a minute on here, even though I know for some of you that is not the thing you're looking for. But I think if you are working as an underrepresented person in your community, whether that is your gender, whether it's your skin color, whether it's your ethnicity, whatever it is. And I have... Um, I do actually currently only work with women. I've never turned down a man, but <laughs> I market myself to women, don't get me wrong, because I find I find it more rewarding. My mission is to get more women into the senior leadership in tech, and particularly into the C-suite and change it, right? So I market myself that way. But I wouldn't turn down a man other than because we weren't a good fit or I didn't think I could help them or anything like that. But I do think that it's really good to have somebody who understands your lived experience in some way. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have an individual lived experience. Nobody is your mirror and that would be actually kind of boring because they wouldn't be able to call you out. (laughs) But you don't want to have to explain yourself to somebody. You don't want to have to explain how it feels to always be overlooked. Um, Sometimes one of the things I do is say, well, you know, should you have stood up for yourself there? Or, um, just give them some empathy for how hard it is to have your ideas knocked down a hundred times, to know what it's like to hit that glass ceiling and bounce off it 10 times. You know, all of those things are quite simply exhausting. And so you don't want a coach who doesn't get it. Equally, I would say that there are some great white men out there coaching women, um, coaching women of color as well. Like, There are some great coaches working with people who aren't like them. But if they aren't specializing in whatever it is, whether it's gender, whether it's color, whether it's race, whether it's being non-binary, like whatever it is, if they aren't specializing in it, they how are they going to have that empathy? Either they need the natural empathy because they've got some of your lived experience, or they need to be reading about it. They need to be embedding themselves in what it means to be that kind of person. Now, If that's not the thing that you're dealing with right now, that's absolutely fine. I do have a number of women of color working with me. um, And, you know, I'm a white woman. I'm incredibly privileged. They've chosen to work with me for other issues. And that's absolutely fine too. But if you know that this is something that's impacting you in some way, then get a coach who gets that. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel ashamed of getting a coach who gets it, who's been there, who has done the research or, or whatever it is. Don't feel bad about that. Don't feel that you have to brave it out in some way. Get somebody who gets it, whatever it is, whatever it is you're having to deal with, even if it's something tangential to what you're doing right now. So a lot of my clients, being a woman in tech is not the reason they come to me. That is quite often why they started following me. They saw the word. They joined a group. Great. Fabulous. That's not the reason they come to me. But they never have to explain a situation to me as being a woman tech. And I think that's a really important one, particularly if you want to improve your leadership in a, in a specific area. Because a lot of the time, the barriers we've put up, and I will talk as a woman in tech right now. Um, I am not an expert in many of the other things I've just described. 
but I know as a woman in tech, we put up emotional barriers. I have been the only woman in a room since the age of 16 when I first started, you know, when we first got to choose our subjects at school and I chose physics. And, you know, I was one of just a handful of girls. I was the first girl in my school to study electronics. And I just, you don't even realize what we do over time. It was actually when I started studying this in my work around women in high performance computing and I started reading about gender research and <laughs> what we do as women uh, when we're the only one in the room and all this sort of stuff and a lot of the things that we've done that are so embedded we don't even realize we've done them we need to break those down to become great leaders you need to replace them with something we've put stuff in place to protect ourselves and that very thing that's a protection mechanism is also inhibiting your progress when you get to a point it holds you up and what you have to do and what a great coach will do with you is help you identify that and replace it with something more productive. And that's a lot of the work I do. And I would suggest that if you are experiencing anything that makes you different in any way, whatever that difference is, whatever it is that makes you feel like you don't fit in, even if you've like kind of come to like terms with it in some way, like I never really felt I was different until I really, until I set up Women High Performance Computing and I was like, holy heck, this is what it feels like to be surrounded by women. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> and But having that person who will call you out and help you understand that will be so powerful for your career. So if something like that is going on for you, whatever it is, look for a coach who gets it. That's super important, I think. The next item on my list, I have a lot of items on this list. <laughs> uh, the next one's quite a quick one, the type of coaching relationship. Now I would suggest this should be a minimum of six months. There are reasons for one-off sessions, do not get me wrong. So I offer um, a couple of intensives, like it's two half-day sessions in order to prepare for interviews, get your resume, all that sort of stuff for a, for a leadership interview. Great. That's, to a large extent, I would argue that's not just coaching, that's also mentoring. <laughs> but I think really, if you're looking for transformation as a human, as a leader, and in your career, it takes a minimum of four to five months which is why I insist a minimum of six months of a coaching relationship with me. Many of my clients re-sign for multiple six-month contracts, which I just think speaks to the great relationships I build with my clients. I love every single one of them. But I think you have to work with somebody for a minimum of five months, ideally six months, to really get transformation. If a coach is saying to you, yeah, yeah, we'll just, we'll just do a one-day intensive and you'll get all this stuff, or they're like, yeah, I work with you for four months. You're not really going to see the change you're after. A lot of coaches will do that because it's an easier sell. And certainly I was tempted by this right at the beginning of my coaching career. And I saw the mistake it was because people thought they were going to get that transformation in three months that actually I know takes six months. As a coach, I know best here. <laughs> you have to trust a prospective coach that they know their job. They know how long it's going to take. And we'll hold firm on that. If they aren't holding firm, have a good look at what's going on. Now, there are always exceptions to every single thing I'm saying here. Always, always. <laughs> and sometimes there may be a good reason to just go in for a couple of months. Um, if you're just looking for something very specific, great, have a go. I do very, very occasionally. And it generally is because of a specific set of circumstances with the person in front of me. I will offer something shorter. But it's more, there is a clear expectation between me and the person I'm working with that what specifically will be achieved in that amount of time. And it's generally because 
Maybe they want to make a very quick change in something so they can then take a break, maybe go on maternity leave, um, whatever it is, and give them some tools and stuff. And it's very specific. But if you are actually wanting to make a big transformation, it needs to be a minimum of six months. Oh, I've gone over that one quite a lot. <laughs> As you can tell, it's, it's a really big deal. The next one on my list is when we take the recommendation from, an, uh, from someone else too seriously. Now, don't get me wrong, recommendations are a great thing. I have many clients who've come through recommendations and I adore every single one of them. Often I get some of the, the best fit from recommendations because it's somebody working with me who recommends me and therefore it is going to be a good fit. But make sure that the recommendation is just that, a recommendation, not a, I will definitely go work with them. Do your homework, check for fit for knowledge, for experience, for background, whatever it is that you've decided is important to you. Just because your colleagues have a great coach doesn't mean they will be great for you. Just because your CEO has a great coach doesn't mean they're going to be good for you. One of the reasons why I don't encourage corporate coaches is precisely because of this, that fit and experience piece. Right coach for the right person every time. Take recommendations, but then do your homework, okay? It's a biggie. <laughs> My next one is a coach who doesn't believe in coaching. What on earth do I mean by this one? Well, there are a lot of coaches out there who insist you must have a coaching qualification from X organization or body, but the reality is there is no standardized coaching system qualification or body. There isn't. People will tell you there is, but I'm not going to name the organization. There's one particular organization which says it's the thing. It's not. <laughs> Yeah, there are, there are some particular issues I have with that particular setup of coaching, in fact. But that's kind of irrelevant. My point here is one of the best coaches I've ever had had no formal training. But what she did have was a respect for coaching and investment in coaching and believing in coaching herself. And that is what you need to be looking for. Somebody who actually believes in coaching in themselves. She has a coach. In fact, like... She has, she has an extraordinary coach. She is an extraordinary coach. Neither of them have coaching qualifications. I've had coaches that do have qualifications who were terrible. But one of the things they didn't have was a coach coaching them. So I would say to you, if a coach isn't prepared to invest in their own coaching, how are they constantly improving? How are they making sure they're up-leveling all the time? For a coach, having a coach, keeping up with the research in this rapidly evolving area, it is very rapidly evolving. The best practice in coaching is still heavily under academic research. It's not well understood yet. So you should have a coach who's doing all the professional development around, reading bound press patches, reading the academic research, reading books, and obviously having a coach of their own. After all, if you were hiring someone to your team, You'd be looking for someone working on their professional development, right? If you want a high flyer, you look for someone who is investing in themselves, investing time or money, whatever it is, but they are taking time to up level. So look for that in your coach too. Ask them if they have a coach. Get curious about the answer they give you. But do not make the mistake that a qualification is the answer. It can help. But I can assure you that there are both great and terrible coaches out there with the supposed right credentials. And some of those credentials actually go against the research in terms of coaching and mentoring best practice. What really matters is that they are working on their professional development as a coach. Get a coach who believes in coaching themselves. My next one is 
avoid coaches who focus on tools and the one way to do things. Now, if you've been around here a while listening to the podcast, you know I love tools, I love processes. I think that they really help us in our careers. And I have many tools that I use in my business and with my coaching. (laughs) Of course, I would apply tools and processes to my coaching. I love, for example, personality type indicators. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to them. I have several episodes on them if you want to go through the back catalog. But I don't emphasize just one tool. Let's take another example here. My senior leadership clients will all get the opportunity to develop a personalized leadership development plan as part of our time together. But I don't insist on it. It's not absolutely mandatory. It isn't the one thing I do with everybody. But an overemphasis on using it all, on having a one set of things that must be done from a particular personality type assessment, a 360 review, or anything else, means that the coach you're speaking to doesn't understand the field of psychology. Now, I don't have a psychology degree. I do have a little bit of help here in that my parents are both psychologists. In fact, I think if I hadn't had parents and psychologists, I might have done a psychology degree, but I was like, no! (laughs) Um, (laughs) Really didn't want to become what my parents were. But a coach, and I will include myself in this, should be curious about the field. And the thing is, there is no perfect set of tools, whatever it is you're talking about. Psychologists develop them and will advocate for them, but will also be the first group of people to tell you there is a very imperfect set of tools. They're just models. They aren't perfect. A set of things to help you gain understanding. That is all. And so if there is a successive focus on this being the right way or the one thing, then the coach in front of you is missing the point. They should be tailoring the experience to what you need. Pushing. I don't make all my clients do personality assessment. I do try and help them understand who they are, but I only do that if it's relevant to their journey. <laughs> I actually am very sparing with 360 reviews. I think they have a place, but I think a lot of the time, and the research backs this up, they can be very damaging. They actually, there is quite a lot of research that suggests 360s are more often not done badly, and when done badly, cause more harm than good. Even though I used to be a big fan of 360s, I'm like, mm. <laughs> and this kind of goes back to my previous point about the professional development, reading about this stuff and being up to date. You need to be reading the articles to understand what is right and good practice right now. And I just, I've seen far too many coaches, or rather, I've had clients come to me after working with a coach who's been so focused on one set of tools that it's just, it doesn't work. You are an individual. The people you're working with are individuals. There is no one set way of doing things. A great coach should instead of focus on what you need, not what tools they are qualified in. They may use the tools they know, and that's fine. It's a good thing. (laughs) But the emphasis should be on equipping you for the future. So, for example, rather than insisting you do a personality assessment, or that your whole team does personality assessments, they should help you learn how to walk into a room of strangers and know how to talk to them without saying, what's your Enneagram? What's your Myers-Briggs personality type indicator? That doesn't work. (laughs) You can't do that for the rest of your life. So instead, it should be about helping you understand how to work with people you don't know. Instead of saying, well, here's your personality type, therefore that's how you communicate with people. When they have this personality type, you need to make sure they do it that way. That isn't developing your understanding. That's giving you like a matching exercise, which means when you walk into a room full of strangers, you're out of depth. 
So make sure that there isn't this focus and obsession on tools and one right way of doing things. A great coach should be adapting with you. Next, pay attention to how they listen. Coaching is primarily about two things, listening and asking questions. Sure, they may mentor you because they've been in your, they've had your experience, they know what it takes to do the job you're after or you know, they've got, they've got some insight. And I don't think we should be ashamed as coaches of sharing that. It was one of the reasons I have problems with some of the uh, official coaching qualifications, because they're like, you should never share your experience. You should just ask questions. And I'm sorry, but like, if somebody in front of you has something powerful to share, share it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't think that is a, a great indicator of coach. That is mentoring rather than strictly coaching. But the two do go hand in hand. But coming back to my point, how they listen is more important than anything else. You can work with a coach who knows nothing about who you are, what you do, has nothing to do with your background, never been in your situation, and they can coach you amazingly because they listen. And then they know how to ask the right questions, which is why I would say rapport is the most important thing because it all the other things are just going to help. But how they listen is fundamental. They should spend more time listening to you than talking. Hey, that's probably why I do this podcast. Because <laughs> I love to talk. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a coach. They should, they should really spend more time listening. And then they should ask really thoughtful questions. If your coach is not taking notes, that's a red flag. I take so many notes. Like I have notebooks filled up because I like to take paper notes. I think I would like to move to an electronic system, but all the kind of tools for handwriting, uh, just not getting there with them. <laughs> Side note, if you have a recommendation for a great tablet, I've seen several and I really should try a few out now, but the last time I tried writing with a tablet and a, a kind of a pencil, like a stylo, whatever you want to call them, I think it was about four years ago and it was shockingly bad. It's on my paper and pen girl still. <laughs> But, you know, I know that technology evolves rapidly. See, I'm a bit of a Luddite. Oh, even though I used to work on supercomputers, apparently I'm a Luddite. If you have a great recommendation for a tablet, I would, for like handwriting, that would help with my electronic storage massively. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like flicking back through my documents from my clients. I'm like, well, we spoke about that. When did we speak about that? And I'm like, ah. So anyway, that's a kind of a side note. But they should take notes. A great coach should take notes. And they should ask thoughtful questions. If they don't in your initial chat, red flag. Next question, could you imagine working with them very closely? This person is going to be intimate with your life, the details of everything going on, because hey, you should bring to them all the things that are not relevant necessarily to like the thing. So as you, as you know, I work with people who are trying to up-level their leadership in tech. Every single one of my clients at some point brings a personal situation to the table because you're a whole human, <laughs> okay? Uh, if you're having a bad time at home, like we need to deal with that because that's holding you up at work. And so it's really, really important that you're able to bring everything to your coach and share intimate details with them to work with them closely for like on a regular basis. Like, as you probably know, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, I don't just have coaching calls with my clients. I support them between calls. Like they get to check in with me as much as they want. They get shared documents with me. You're going to be working really closely with your coach. Can you imagine that? How does that make you feel? Ask that question. And then another question, which I kind of hit on before, but I want to go into in a bit more detail. 
too many clients is a big red flag. As you know, I deliberately limit my client load. So each of my clients gets very personal focus and a lot of care and attention. I know each of them on a really personal level. I actually only onboard one or two new clients a month, preferably only one. I do do two occasionally. Um, Because that first month, I spend a lot more time focusing on them so I really get to know them. But I know coaches who have literally 100 clients on their books. I actually know a coach who has over 500. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Anything above 20 should give you pause. Because there's one of two things going on when they do that. Either they've bought into the thing that they have to give everybody a small amount of attention, then they can move on. It's just about the coaching as is in the session and not about what goes on in between. Or they have convinced themselves that they need that many clients in order to make enough money. So I quite often see a lot of uh, coaches starting out this way because they're like, this is how to make money. They charge very low prices. You are not going to get quality coaching from that because they are just not going to know you. Or they meet with their clients like once every month or once every two months or something like that. And again, they're not going to know you. I, If you want to come work with me, you have to be prepared to meet me on average three times a month, right? You get, I don't like going into the details of my coaching program because <laughs> I feel like that kind of misses the point because it's actually about the relationship and like what we do outside the calls as much as inside the calls. But you get 18 sessions for the six-month contract plus an extra intensive. So it's on average three sessions a month. So we can work around holidays and things like that. You might have two one month and then four another. Oh, absolutely fine, whatever it is. But if you aren't prepared to work with me three times a month, I know you're going to struggle because I see what happens all too often, especially right at the beginning, is we'll have a session and you'll be on a high, you're doing all the great things, and then about three or four days later, you start coming down. If I don't catch you a week later, maximum two weeks later, we start back almost at zero because you're not embedding what you've learned about yourself, about the situation, whatever it is that you're trying to up-level. You need to be prepared to work with your coach regularly and therefore your coach can't afford to be having 100 or more clients on their books because that means they're not investing in you emotionally or they're they're prepared to only meet you for two hours once a month or something like that and honestly it doesn't work. I've tried all of these models and it doesn't work. A lot of executives will say to me I prefer to work with you just once a month for two hours they would prefer to do that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> if you want transformation and you want change and you actually are doing this for the right reasons, it needs to be more often. I do, once I work with a client for at least six months, I am I will offer some of them if it's the right fit, uh, a longer term package where they meet with me twice a month instead of three times. And they get um, office hours calls with me, uh, unlimited. But I will only do that for certain clients and only after you work with me for a minimum of six months. It's not publicly available, that one, because by that point, we've built enough rapport that they know they can come to me during office hours. They know they can pop in to the tool I use to keep up to date with my clients between calls. And we'll basically, we're in communication every week anyway, often like every work day. And if you have loads of clients to coach, you can't possibly do that. (laughs) So that individualized relationship is key. Now, there is one exception to this, which is group coaching. As a group, you get to know, the coach will get to know the group, not the individuals so much. You get to know the dynamics of the group. You do get to know the individuals, don't get me wrong, but you're coaching the group, so it's a different kind of relationship. Now, I actually will be launching a group 
program fairly soon. And I will be offering some one-on-one support in there too. So I will get to know you. But there is a group dynamic play. And so you can, as a coach, get to know a group and therefore have more than, say, 20 clients, which I would say would be an upper, upper limit if it was all one-on-one. But check how many groups they're running simultaneously because a group holds a lot more personality than an individual. (laughs) And it is actually sort of about personality and experiences and all that sort of stuff. How many groups are they running simultaneously? If they're running 10 groups simultaneously of 10 people, no, 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 no. (laughs) Just no. (laughs) So have a good look at that one too. And again, have a look at how often they're checking in, how many sessions there are and all that sort of thing. If a coach doesn't have strong boundaries around how many times you must meet and, you know, how often you should check in, whatever it is, that means that they are more prepared to accommodate you than what you actually need. A good coach should be like, no, no, this is a line because otherwise I know I'm not going to help you get to where you want to be. So make sure that the coach in front of you has boundaries. And finally, a good coach should be totally upfront about the contract and minimum costs. They should help you understand if any hesitancy around investing in yourself, around the money, around the time investment, or anything else is about you in your head or something legit. (laughs) So don't get me wrong, right? A good coach should tell you how much money it's going to be, minimum term, and then they may well push you on the money thing if you have a money objection. Because even if you aren't paying for it, which Many of my clients, well, as I said, I think about half my clients, they pay for it directly, half is their businesses paying for it, but there's still an emotional time investment. They're still backing yourself and saying, hey, I need a coach, and you've got to say that to your boss, and a good coach will help you with that, because it is an objection in our own heads, but they should absolutely be transparent about the cost. I've had coaches be like, oh, I'll just send you that in an email, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> if they're a great coach... They are comfortable with how much they charge. They are not scared of having the money conversation with you because they, first of all, they've done the work with their own selves about how much they're worth. That's one of the things I had to deal with when I started charging for my services rather than when I started out with coaching for free because I was still doing my job full time. I just loved coaching. And don't get me wrong, I still coach for free. Like you can win a free coaching call if you're on my Facebook group. But I truly believe that like now that I know how much of a transformation I get in the clients, I know I'm worth this much. I've had clients triple their salaries. I've had clients get 40, 50, 60K pay rises. I regularly have clients get 50K pay rises. Like I mean, there are always exceptions. I have clients who've also just like kept the same salary. That's actually cool too. For them, that was what was important. But I know that the transformation I have is this much value. And therefore, I'm not scared of charging that. If your coach, or a prospective coach, I should say, isn't prepared to have the money conversation with you and really help you understand what your objections are and then help you get off the fence as a yes or a no, then they haven't done the work that they need in order to be a successful coach. A great coach is not desperate for clients. They own their value. They don't shy away from telling you upfront fees, contract requirements. And as I said, they have boundaries. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I know that sometimes the right thing for the person in front of me is something different. Very, very, very occasionally, I will offer them something other than my six months. I think I've said that already in this episode. (laughs) But it's very occasional and it's for for some very specific circumstances because I know it's what they need. That isn't so much about me bending my boundaries. That's because I know that what they need is unique and different from like what I typically offer. 
So it's about the, your prospective coach having their head in the right place, having their emotional boundaries in the right place, and helping you understand what your objections are so you can get off the fence. I would say, like, the best thing is if you can go off the fence as a yes or a no, I don't mind which side you land on. But if we're still on this call and you're still, oh, I'd love to, but I haven't done my coach job because I should be coaching you through where your head's at. That is part of what happens here. Like helping you understand how you're feeling and whether we're a good fit and where you want to go. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of the time I will get somebody who's a yes or a no. And then if they're a yes, they might be like, I just want to sleep on it. Totally respect that. (laughs) I do the same thing. Like a big money decision, I'll always sleep on it. Even if I'm like, "Mm, I'm basically a yes. I just want to do a sound check. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that I really want to, but, 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 you know, those sorts of things. And a great coach shouldn't be afraid to have a conversation with you about how you're really feeling. So I've just covered a lot of things. And I hope you took notes if you were thinking about getting a coach, because here's the thing, going through all of these points will help you land a great coach. But not all are necessary. In fact, you can have an amazing coach who doesn't know what it's like to be a woman tech, who hasn't got the C-suite, even if that's where you were headed who does have loads of clients, who doesn't have their own coach. These are just good indicators. Now, I feel quite strongly about some of them. Do not get me wrong, as you can probably tell. But they're all they are is indicators of how to find the right person faster. It's about like hiring somebody. You could hire somebody with a master's degree. It's just a shortcut way of identifying the right person. But there are also plenty of people out there who can make the cut without the master's degree. Same goes with the coaching. What I shared with you today is your shortcut. It's not mandatory, but there is one thing that is absolutely essential. And that number one thing is rapport. More than anything else, the rapport, that chemistry, the ability to have mutual trust and respect, it's a must. You need someone who will become a challenging thought partner for you. You will share so much with this person. And if you don't, they're not that challenging thought partner. (laughs) Someone who is on your side, whatever you say, is this person who needs to be your coach. They need to push you out of your comfort zone, but also be there to hold you up when you're falling down. And you can only do this if you start from a position of, I get it, I get you. You know what? I could have really deep, meaningful conversations with you. If this all sounds good, but you're wondering, well, what next? Maybe this is all a bit of a, oh my gosh, I really don't know how to take all this forward. I'd love to get a coach, but I don't know what to do. Then here's the thing. (laughs) Feel free to book a discovery call with me. Even if I'm not your coach, my discovery calls are my version of a chemistry call. So yeah, of course, we're going to be talking about my coaching program. But as I said, I'm actually full up right now. I am filling up my waiting list, but even if you want to coach right now and therefore I'm definitely not your coach or you know you need some level of expertise that I don't have, I share all of my expertise on this podcast and you kind of know what you get. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you come and have a chat with me, first of all, it's zero obligation. These are just like a friendly chat for us to get to know each other. It is my chemistry call. But more than that, one of the things I do is I really help you understand what it is you're after what it is that you need, who it is that would be a good fit for you. I have referred potential clients to some of my coaching friends. I have a network of coaching friends. They're all amazing. (laughs) Um, Some of them, actually many of them are not in tech at all. 
Um, so if you're looking for a coach, you listen to this podcast because you like what I talk about. You're not looking for a tech coach. Totally get it. Like come and speak to me and I may well refer you to one of my amazing coach friends. But more to the point, like if you have this conversation with me, I hope that you get clarity on how to find the right coach. At the end of the day, these conversations are there because I want to help you. That's it. I want to help. That's why I do what I do. It's why I quit my corporate tech job. (laughs) I just love helping people thrive. And one of the ways to do that is to help them find the right support that they need. So if that sounds good to you, head over to tonycollis.com forward slash work with Tony. If you are interested in my program, you can read all about my program there. Otherwise, just scroll to the bottom of the page and you can just click on discovery call booking link and we will just have a casual chat that's it nothing else (laughs) i will put all those links i mentioned today over in your favorite podcast player in the show notes or you can go to tonycollis.com forward slash episode 48 but let's finish up with a leadership mindset moment yes even for an episode about finding the right coach for you In case you're new around here, a leadership mindset moment is an actual tip to help you adjust how you act or think to make it easier to up-level on the topic of today's podcast. And so today I want to talk about that not taking action. A lot of the time, I know that people don't take action on finding a coach because they feel like they don't have time or they feel that they can't afford it. It's too expensive or it's, you know, they're going to move companies soon. So they don't want to ask their boss to pay for it because they're going to move or something like this. Like all sorts of objections come up even before you actually book a discovery call. If here's the thing, if you hire a coach, what would you be looking to achieve? Are you looking to get to the next level faster in your career? Are you looking to reduce how much time you spend doing things? Are you looking for a 25k pay rise? For the rest of your career, because here's the thing that I I see so many times, like I have a client will come work with me, we'll get them a new job if that's what they're after, and then, or sometimes they get a promotion actually as a side benefit of us working together, that wasn't necessarily what they were after per se, although obviously they're looking to advance their careers, and I will always work with my clients on negotiation, like actually if they, even if they don't want to, I didn't used to do this, <laughs> and now I'm like, well, so I think we should have a quick chat about your negotiation strategy here, <laughs> because here's the thing. What would it mean to you if you got a 25k pay rise? If you got a 50k pay rise? Like maybe you're hoping to get that in your next job. What if you brought that earlier by six months, by a year? Because that's the thing you get here. You don't just get that 25k pay rise once. You have it for the rest of your life, right? You get that pay rise right now. And then every time from there on, you're asking for more beyond that. So do you want to wait two more years or more? If you're, If you have an objection around money, Ask yourself, can you afford to not do this? That's sometimes just the question that we need to ask ourselves in order to get through that inertia and scaredness and feeling of like we shouldn't be doing this that help that stops us from actually having that initial conversation. And then the other one I see coming up a lot is you're afraid to ask your organization or your partner for the money, right? And so you don't even talk about having a coach and therefore you're not even in like looking for a coach you're listening to the podcast you're like oh it sounds like a great idea maybe you're listening to some other coaches all sounds amazing but you're too afraid to ask I had a client recently who was convinced her husband wouldn't be on board with investing and coaching for her 
I say I had a client when we first met she was convinced of this I worked with her in our first initial conversation on how to make that ask and how to believe in herself enough that she could make that ask and now her husband is her biggest advocate for her coaching (laughs) because it's made a huge difference I remember asking my husband if we could invest in my coaching and I was terrified I shouldn't have been here is my biggest advocate and ally he's like the reason I've done many of the things I've done is because he pushes me (laughs) he's the coach I got before I realized I should get a coach if you see what I mean (laughs) um don't get me wrong I know that not all of us are as lucky to have somebody supportive for that but a lot of the time I see it's actually a lot of it is in our own heads and I see the same thing with asking for money from your organization you've got to back yourself you've got to know that you are worth this in order to have that conversation with a boss to say, hey, I want some professional development funding. Hey, I want you to pay for my coaching. By the way, side note, if you want a guide to how to make the ask for um, your boss to pay for your coaching, drop me an email. I have a guide that I share with potential clients. I will share it with you if you drop me an email. No obligation. Um, it's a PDF guide and you can just see how I suggest you should structure making the ask to ask for professional development. As I said, about half my clients their bosses are paying for it. The other half, they deliberately decide to pay for themselves for lots of reasons, which I'm not going to go into today. But you've got to believe in yourself first. That is the crucial thing here. And a lot of time we're scared of making the ask at work because we don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe we're worthy. It's the same reason where I see a lot of people not backing themselves in terms of, I need more people on my team. Or actually, I see a lot when you've got a very small team like just adding one person, adding a second, not backing ourselves. It's the same problem, whether it's for a coach or for a new team member or for some software, whatever it is. You're saying, I'm worth this. My time is worth this. I'm a valuable asset. If you think that one's you, if that's resonating, by all means, book a call with me, even if you know I'm not your coach, (laughs) because I can definitely help you understand what it is that's holding your brain back here. Because the big one I would say here is, can you afford not to? A great coach will work with you on whatever your barriers are, from investing money in yourself, asking your boss to pay, to giving you the tools you need to work on your time management. If lack of time is the issue, that's a biggie. <laughs> you, a great coach, will help you with your time management. If they aren't, that's a problem. If you don't have time for coaching, you can't afford to not have a coach, is always my argument here. Because if you're feeling that stretch, you're not actually doing a good job. Believe me, my love. I know that's a hard truth to hear, but you're not. If you're feeling that stretched and overworked and overwhelmed, you need a coach. And a great coach will help you work through all that stuff. So if any of that stuff has resonated with you, if you're finding that you're resisting having those initial conversations with coaches because you have these barriers in place, you know, nobody will pay for it. And, you know, I can't ask my boss. I can't ask my partner. I don't have time. Get down and dirty with the details here. Where's your brain really taking you? Like, are those, nothing else. Have the conversation, both with the person who you need permission from in whatever way, and also with a prospective coach. Because a lot of the time, I would argue, you can't afford not to if that's how you're feeling. These are just discomfort objections, as I like to call them. Investing yourself is believing in yourself. That takes courage self-belief and understanding that you deserve this. 
So if you're resisting taking action because of a lack of time or money, ask yourself if this is genuinely a legitimate issue. In my experience, neither of them are. (laughs) Time and money are two biggest ones. They're never the real issue at play. Because it is simply a choice. There's no right or wrong choice. As I said, I like to get people off the fence, yes or no, but there's no right or wrong. I've had potential clients decide not to work with me because they don't have the money. At least that's what they tell me. But then they're also going on a big fancy holiday. The key thing is they're recognizing that that sort of thing is a choice. Now, you might not feel that you have a choice, right? Uh, If you, for example, investing in a coach is going to mean that you have to, you know, cut somewhere else in your lifestyle, it might not feel like a choice, but I guarantee you it is a choice unless you're on the breadline, right? And if you're a leader in tech, you are not on the breadline, my love. (laughs) I know sometimes it's really hard if you've got kids, you're paying the mortgage, all the things, but it is absolutely a choice. Make sure you're aware that it's a choice. If you feel that you don't have a choice, you're incorrect. We all have choices. Absolutely. Like you have a choice whether or not to get out of bed and do work today, right? It doesn't feel like a choice because you get fired, but it's still a choice. Make sure you know that this is a choice. If it doesn't feel like a choice, recognize that that's just a choice in its own matter. Nested choices, meta choices. <laughs> but do something about it. Okay, I've gone on, on a bit there about like choices and the mindset around deciding to invest in yourself, but I hope you found that helpful. And I hope you're understanding a little bit more about what it takes to find a coach that is a good fit for you. That is it for today's episode. If you love this, and don't forget that I'm here to help you find the right coach, whether it's me or someone else, head to bit.ly forward slash discover Tony to go straight to that cool booking link. And we can have a chat to figure out what it is that you need. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.